And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. Uh, it is middle of the day there for you. This is, so New Zealand and Australia are the hardest ones for me to book with. <laughs> it's a nightmare, man. Like even when, it seems to happen when I'm sort of like, get the times right uh, for like sort of other Zoom calls or just sort of like catching up with people. And then it'll be like, there'll be like a daylight savings change somewhere in there. So then I'll be kind of like, cool, all right, let's jump on. I'll be like, oh, fuck, I'm like an hour late or I'm out early or it's just the wrong day. <laughs> yeah, because it's Tuesday right now for you, right? Yeah, yeah, it's Tuesday lunchtime. Unreal. So what's it feel like to be in the future? That's what's happening. <laughs> it's amazing. The weather's terrible, um, which I don't mind too much anyway. I kind of like a rainy day because then I'm like, oh, I'm going to do some work. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 nice. It's been kind of warm-ish in Melbourne. It's weird time transitioning. Uh, now it's just probably just going to be cold for for ages. Um, yeah, which, which I don't kind of mind. It just makes the toys take longer to queue up which is annoying yeah all right here we go break the ner any nervousness break all of it down i need a minute of your hot take tell me all the things that you like or dislike about beanie babies oh beanie babies um i liked them because i think they serve as a very cautionary tale of like that sort of speculative collecting you know that thing of like oh we're gonna buy up these they're gonna be super rare and then you know the bubble bursts and yeah they weren't necessarily something that were in my life like my mum didn't sort of collect them I don't have any sisters they were just a bit kind of girly I guess if there's anything wrong with that but um they just kind of weren't really in my orbit but I would see them at the at the toy shop and stuff but never really kind of got it and I was probably a bit young to understand the complexities of like you know when it's bad just completely you know disintegrates or something like that but yeah. I love the, uh, I know you were talking, I can't remember who it was, maybe Stanfield or something. Um, the pet though, like just the the image or the people like, you know, dividing their beanie babies, getting divorces and stuff. Like that's just fucking crazy. It's hilarious. Yeah, it was unreal to see that kind of stuff happen, right? Like that is so crazy. That was at the height. I don't know if you've seen any of the documentaries. One lady oh. at the height, so there were two ladies that got me. They drove me nuts and they were in so much of the documentary. Um, the first one, she was a buyer. So people would pay her like, hey, here's $50,000. Please use 30,000 of that to go buy me all these Beanie Babies. <laughs> and then you keep 20,000 because it's a finder's fee, which that's to make 50,000 or to make $20,000 in a second, unreal. Yeah. And then the other one that got me so I don't know, like in Australia, if the term Karen is widely used, oh, awesome. 
Yeah, it's definitely made it here. <laughs> so that second lady looked like a Karen, like fit that whole persona. And she gets on the camera and she goes, you know what? I was making over a hundred grand a year at conventions selling Beanie Babies. What the shit? Like you're telling me that stupid plush stuffed animal, whatever you want to call them, a hundred grand. Yeah. That's that that's bonkers. Even getting a, a twenty thousand dollar finest fee, like just yeah, like that to be like, cool, I got a yeah. little connection, I can just go and sweep up these. This doesn't really work for me. And then just like bang, that's that's not enough. I couldn't there's not a toy now that I would pay someone twenty thousand to go find. No, no, no way. No. Uh like even some of the ones that like there are rare toys out there, whatever. Like I, I can't understand uh what's that um Ninja Turtle toy, the cat, the burglar one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name, but yeah. I cannot understand how that's like two grand. Yeah, yeah. I just, if I ever come into a large amount of money, all <laughs> of my uh, content is just going to shift to like buying expensive toys and ripping them open <laughs> as, as a big F you to everyone. Oh, oh bold move, bold move. I just... But, yeah. Yeah, yeah that stuff is irritating. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm I'm thinking, uh, and I can't remember if it was mentioned on on one of your shows before or, or somewhere else, but how that's just kind of really exploded again because of kind of like lockdown and people just getting back into collecting. And um it's just it's nuts, all the different kind of ways that yeah, shit's kind of just changed where you just wouldn't think that would even come up as a thing to happen, like yeah. um, yeah, from having a pandemic to yeah, fucking toys just becoming really cool again um which I think yeah <laughs> i what's so crazy too i like the majority i can say like starting in 2020 and then coming out to now i had we're talking like hundreds of dollars of more sales during the pandemic yeah and now that we're like coming out of it either people are realizing that they're like maybe i don't need toys <laughs> Or they're realizing like, oh, maybe I should stop spending money I don't have or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The the, the distraction side of it's kind of worn off because, yeah, they're, you know, back into the, you know, community and just kind of like going to work and going out and kind of being like, damn, I don't have that disposable income and all kind of looking at being like, geez, what was I thinking buying all this all this stuff? But, um, I thought it was an awesome sweet spot there where it was just everyone was making, buying, shit was kind of going everywhere. I loved it. It was so yeah. cool. I've definitely noticed a decline in sort of sales now that, you know, things are kind of opening back up and, um, you know, you sort of see artists sort of drop off a little bit as well, um, which I guess is just pretty normal in the life cycle of toy makers. Yeah. I mean, I've reached out to a couple people because I've seen artists that just, stop like they stop posting they stop producing anything and yeah. there's no way to get in contact with some of them yeah. and it's just to find out like hey it's, it's happened i think to two artists that i know of that had podcast episodes like booked oh. with me wow yeah but when i booked i like luckily i learned my lesson when i first started this i was booking like it was like six or seven a month yeah. I had, there was no purpose for it. Like I was just, I, it was crazy. And so people would record and then they'd be like, Oh, when's my episode come out? I'd be like, Oh, in two months, it'll be great. <laughs> but, uh, I had people scheduled out so far that by the time it got to their episode, I'd reach out and they no longer made toys. 
Wow. Yeah. So that kind of sucked. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. And just kind of, yeah, ones that are quite sort of prolific, just just dead stop, just like nothing. Um, and yeah, it is that kind of thing. Like, I wonder what happened to that person. You kind of like ask around and, and everyone's just kind of like, no idea. That's just yeah. it's kind of weird. Cause you just kind of get so used to seeing people, you know, checking Insta and just kind of seeing what people are making. And it just becomes a, uh, oh, it's part of, it's definitely part of my day, just kind of seeing what people are putting out there and what I've kind of missed. And then, yeah, all of a sudden you're kind of like, damn, this dude hasn't posted in like a year. And you're like, what the fuck happened? yeah um, yeah and if they if they're not like got that that profile activated or something like that then there's just no way to contact them yeah and then i looked at i was looking at my followers today and you know it gives you those two categories of like least interacted with and most yeah, yeah. and i clicked on least and i have some of like the biggest toy makers in the least <laughs> interactive and it was like what what's happening here yeah yeah i would love to see these people more and i just i don't know what was going on yeah, no, it's weird. There's and like the algorithm is something that always kind of comes up, but I've definitely noticed a lot more lately where, um, you know, you can kind of break through and get a post with, you know, a, a sort of a bit of attention or, or that kind of thing, but it just seems a lot harder uh, these days. But then I don't know, I don't really understand much of that algorithm shit anyway. So I'm just like, I'll just keep making and hopefully people see this. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the more I think about the algorithm and all that stuff, um, I, what's weird is I can post, so uh, on like my Yucko Toys one, I'll post something and I'll get like anywhere between 40 and 100 likes out of 2,000 people. So I'm not, it's not great. But then I'll post something on Toys on Tap that is like just artist-based and it'll pull like 150 out of 900. Yeah, wow. and I just don't like, I definitely understand that toys on tap. It's just artists that are clicking yep. on that and stuff. But I think what's weird is I'll post a reel. Like my favorite thing lately is those toy history things. Yep. And I'll post one and I'll look down at my phone. And it's like, oh, you got 12 new follows within a couple minutes. Fuck. I just, I just don't understand Instagram anymore. I thought I did. I don't. Yeah. 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 There was definitely a point there. Where I was kind of like getting from sort of posting so many like a hundred times or something, you kind of work out, obviously, you know, the time of the day and mm-hmm. and I'm trying to sort of cover two time zones or three sort of time zones. So sort of doing something late at night, but then even just kind of like taking photos and sort of making things pop, I felt like I was like, all right, cool. This is looking really, really fucking good. And then I think it was like the last big post that I got was the apocalyptic, apocalyptico show yep uh, and that was really good and, and it was like looking really really nice and then sort of since then it's just like damn i'm not fuck this like uh, how am i just when yeah when you think you've got to kind of like worked out and you can kind of like use it to your advantage they'll change something or yeah, they'll, they'll want to push reels and that sort of stuff yeah. more i just don't have the time like i do enjoy making reels but i just don't have the time to sit there on a computer fucking editing editing videos uh, unless it's something that i'm really excited about but i just much prefer to be pouring resin and, and putting putting stuff together but um but it's kind of at a point now where if that's how you sort of you know continue to sort of build and and that kind of thing in this space then fuck, i'm gonna have to probably make some reels <laughs> yeah and it takes like we're getting so far off topic which i hey i'm in for it but uh like making the tiktoks and stuff uh it takes it's just, here's a real honest thing. I feel so fucking stupid 
when I <laughs> record them. Cause like I record them as conversations, but you can't just record back and forth. You have to record only one side of the conversation first. Yeah. So I sit in a chair or do whatever. And I like my neighbors will walk by or people will hear me. And I'm only saying the first half of the conversation. And I feel so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like when I've um when I kind of do I haven't made one for ages and it was more for definitely more for patrons but like making how-to videos and yeah I'd be so focused on like getting it right I would constantly fuck up whatever I was making like I would just and then as soon as I turn the camera off and try it again it would come out perfect and it's yeah. just like and that really frustrated because then it really started to eat into like materials and and um but then it was also kind of uh it was kind of funny just because I do make a lot of mistakes and it's fine for that stuff to be caught uh, on camera because that does happen quite often but um yeah it's just you kind of you can't focus on everything there's always just sort of something distracting like oh no is, is the and then I'll be like got all my angles right and then I'll put my head down and pour and completely block the camera when I'm like pouring I'm like fuck yeah so I just get frustrated um, yeah but it is it is good practice to kind of to I guess engage with with people in lots of different kind of ways not just still photos and short and stories and shares and that sort of thing so um but i think it's cool i think if you can kind of get that get that down where you you are getting those tiktok things and that's fucking awesome like to, to sort of just have a bump in in followers and that kind of thing um just from sort of one clip is, is pretty cool but it's just a shame that we can't kind of have that same attention with just still photos or you know shit like that yeah but hey all that pushed aside this episode, Toys on Tap, Titty Beans, is all about you. I'm stoked you're here. It's been a long time coming. This podcast hit a year old and I still hadn't had you on. And it was like, okay, enough's enough. We need to get you on. Um, and so we, uh, before we get any further, please introduce yourself. Tell us what you do. Cool. Uh, thanks for having me on, Yako. Uh, so my name's Sam. I am Titty Bean Toys. I'm based and live and have always lived in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, it's currently Tuesday afternoon, but for Yako, it's his Monday night. So I've got the I've got the jump on all the future shit. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we're starting all the way at the beginning. I don't know how old you are. I don't know what years you grew up in, what decades. Let's talk toys when you were a kid. Tell me about your relationship with toys growing up because it kind of has to filter into what you do now. So yeah, let's, absolutely. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so I uh, so I've got an older brother. He's about six years older than me. So growing up, there was always kind of there was already toys around, but it was more He Man, uh, vintage Star Wars, mask, Lego, that sort of stuff. So there was always those kind of bits there. And then as I got older. Uh, and I think there was a kind of a sweet spot, probably between me being about five, my brother being about 11, we kind of started to play with the same toys. That's probably when G.I. Joe started to come in. So I was born in 87. Um, so kind of like mid 90s. And then he kind of got older, then I kind of focused more on my own sort of toys that I wanted. So that was a really good time because there was Power of the Force, um, Toy Biz, um, Toxic Crusaders. Toxic Crusaders was massive. Like I think even my brother was probably a little bit older to like him, but they were just so fucking cool. Um, yeah. So that's obviously the, I think my color palette really kind of reflects my love of Toxic Crusaders, just those really bright, bright colors. Um, but there kind of wasn't really a point where my mum 
cleared out all my old shit. I felt like I had toys for ages. I played with toys well into my teens. Um, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't even admit. I don't even know if I ever stopped really playing with toys, maybe from like 20 to 25. Um, but, yeah, but I was also lucky that, yeah, for one, there kind of wasn't a clear out of toys and um, I've got nephews and a niece, so they, the toys kind of got carried carried down. So it's kind of cool coming across old toys in my in my nephew's room, kind of being like, ha. And sometimes I'll just flat out steal them back and be like, actually, I could use this or I could, you know, weapons yeah. especially just have heaps of like GI Joe weapons, which I went and just like scooped a whole bunch up. And um, so it's it's kind of cool to be able to cast some of the shit that I used to sort of play with, because usually we're just having to rebuy a lot of it, which I have rebought, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, but then, so I was always kind of a collector. I would keep, um, I was probably one of those jerk off speculative collectors from the nineties with like power of the force way too young to have any kind of clue of what makes a certain toy valuable versus mm -hmm. not. Um, so I remember I got a princess layer and like kept it in the packet and it was just kind of like, this is going to, for some reason, I think someone told me like as a joke, this is going to be super rare. Uh, and I've still got it still hanging on the wall because I'm kind of like at this point, I'm now, this is a lesson into like, do your research, you know, and actually kind of figure out what makes something valuable versus what makes something a piece of crap that's worth about $2. Yeah. I mean, do your research when I'm assuming when you got that Princess Leia, like early nineties ish. Yeah. Yeah. Mid nineties. So pre-internet, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, there, was, there was no way. And I think it was a mate probably just, you know, winded me up and just kind of went, hey, you know, get that Princess Leia and yeah, fell for it. Um, so I would often keep sort of, you know, some toys packeted. Um, sorry, Biker Mice from Mars was another one. Fuck, I used to love Biker Mice, from, Biker Mice from Mars. That was really cool. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, the galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have an engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved in DOV2. Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures. DKE. So all that sort of all that sort of stuff um, was definitely kind of me, but then it was probably not so. Um, I would sort of like pick up toys here and there, but it wasn't really something in in um, really kind of at the front of my mind. And then probably six years ago, we now yeah maybe six years ago, I started to kind of get more into like reading like Star Wars expanded universe things and listening to audio books and that just then I started to really want to collect like these weird side characters from the books and and I think that's kind of reintroduced me back into collecting which I sort of bought then I was it was kind of like constantly going online looking for certain things mm -hmm. um, so that was yeah probably about five or six years ago and then very I think I was just like on the outer rim of like the bootleg scene because I was following people like Killer and Alien Robot Monster and um Super 7, I was really on the fence with Super 7 for a long time. But then, um, yeah, once I sort of started to just sort of go a bit deeper into the collecting and then you kind of find more. And then by documenting the collection that I've got now, that's kind of how I got into the bootleg world, um, was just stumbling across artists and I was like, shit. Um, I, I, I was always aware of custom toys, but I was, thought it was a little bit nerdy. I know that sounds kind of weird because we're all, we're all kind of like nerds. I'm a massive nerd. Yeah. Um, 
but I always something it was just one of those things where you, you kind of your lens changes and all of a sudden that they, they look cool or it was probably just working out that it was something that I could kind of do myself and had the time to do um, yeah it's all yeah. nerdy until you find something that you're like I love that yeah yeah absolutely and then like I said I've, I've always been a massive nerd I've not kind of shied away um from like collecting or anything like that um even if, like I said sort of like through my teens I would still have things on the wall um just still playing with toys on a Friday night watching movies and shit like that so yeah, yeah. But with you being in Australia, as you are trying to co- like, one getting the initial toys must have been. I don't know if you would have remembered getting them or not, or how hard it was. But like, rebuying those was that a challenging thing as you tried to find them all? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think we were pretty pretty good in the nineties. Like I remember going to Toys R Us and what we have, uh, Big W, Kmart, which are kind of like you know your Target type stores. <clears throat> They, um, I do like really remember kind of going there with so many options of sort of, of toys. And, and I guess without the internet at the time, you couldn't really see what other people were kind of getting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it did sort of catch as the internet came in. And that was probably one of the first things I used the internet for was to look for, for toys. Just, yeah, I, I hadn't actually kind of thought about that, but I remember, specifically remember looking up alien um, micro machines and, and all that sort of stuff and being like, oh, shit, like, have I kind of missed these? Are they out yet? Like, um, but it it was pretty okay at the time. But then, yeah, going back, especially like GI Joes, I went through a big GI Joe phase maybe about a year ago, trying to like recollect those and just went, fuck, these are really expensive. The ones that we kind of had and mm-hmm. getting them in packets, I love the GI Joe packaging, but man, it was really hard to find reasonably priced kind of things. Um, but then I also found like, uh, Facebook groups and Jojo collectors. And that, that was pretty cool, like a little local group. But um, it was also opening up a whole other kind of Pandora's box that I was like, I don't really know if I've got the cash to kind of go into this Joe collecting because some of the collections that the dudes had and you, and you start to like see specific characters and you're like, that's fucking cool. And then you can't get out of your head. Um, yeah, so I was kind of like, I dipped my toe in and I've got a good little kind of collection of like the Dreadnoughts and um, ma- mainly kind of villains like Cobra and, and Destro, but yeah, I was happy I didn't kind of go too deep into there because um, I was also a little bit scared that I'd start pulling them apart and like using them. And I was like, no, 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 these, yeah. are, these are the shell. Um, yeah, I one of the movies that I loved, like in the early 90s, was the uh, Small Soldiers movie, of course, or late 90s. And I just found, for some reason, we always forget and I like people don't remember their action figures were fucking huge yeah and i i found two of them um and i bought two of them from uh whatever i i don't remember where i was um and they were like they're just so big i i can't imagine how that was cost effective to produce that at all yeah that was so that i i I love that you brought small soldiers up because that was a fucking awesome movie and that was just like every kid's dream of having like these toys come alive they're cool characters but then, um, yeah, I remember seeing them in the store. And I think my brother bought a couple for his son. I think they were maybe like reissues. So they weren't that huge. They were actually a bit more kind of reasonable size. But um, they were also just like way out of any kind of scale. If you had sort of like any other toys, you're like, I can't play with this giant fucking thing with yeah. like anything. Like I don't have anything else that size. Uh, yeah. I never never got them, but it always really kind of 
it was a bit of a kick in the balls. Like it was just kind of like yeah. such a cool movie, but these toys just aren't really, um, I guess they, they were accurate looking because they're, you know, it's, I'd assume it's pretty easy to kind of make toys out of toys. Yeah. But um, yeah, I remember being really bummed, but man, I love that movie. That was so cool. Yeah. I don't know if you, this is a, a side note, we'll get back to everything, but um, if you remember uh, Major Chip Hazard and Archer, they both yeah. were created and they talked. And there was, I don't remember anything. I owned both of them, but I don't remember anything outside of that. I just remember them being like massive. And even the ones on my shelf at home, it's like, mother effer, these are awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really glad they kind of shrunk them down. They're probably a bit more of a street sharks kind of size now, I think. But yeah, my nephew's yeah. got a couple. And I remember sort of seeing them being like, damn, I wish I had these like, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, whenever it came out yeah there yeah it's it's rad it was the first movie that i'd known of because like i didn't know of star wars action i grew up in the 90s too like i barely knew of anything outside of power of the force yeah. but it was the first toy line i had where they produced something that wasn't in the movie yeah, yeah. and i got it and uh i remember hanging out with a friend and he was like that's not small soldiers and looking back, it's like, bitch, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it is what it is. That guy, we don't talk for a reason now. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah. So you are on the periphery, you're like, right? So you're collecting toys. You are kind of on the edge and seeing Killer and all these different artists and, and kind of messing with Super 7 a little bit. What pushes you over into the time that you start making your own? At what point do you start thinking like, this is, I could do this? Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, it was really and I've, like, I think how we think about time is like pre post pandemic. So it was, yeah. it was just as it was starting to kind of heat up probably like two years ago from, it was around this time kind of in, in 2020 and, uh, and we'd sort of, must have been in lockdown for about a month so far and yeah just out of boredom was was taking photos of the um of my figures and I, I can't remember specifically what tipped me over I remember I was watching like toy polloi videos I think I was wanting to like repair something I was like I'm not going to cast but I was like I think I could repair this fucking cheap you know um, yeah. vintage Kenner figure that I had so um and then I think I saw him like, saw someone like, I watched a toy polloi boil and pop where he could like pop them all apart. And I was like, holy shit, this is actually pretty easy just to kind of pull some, um, pull these things apart. And so I went and bought like a whole bunch of cheapo ones and was just, was again, wasn't planning to cast them, but was maybe considering like painting them or, or something like that. So I got a, a uh, Rancor Keeper, Admiral Akbar, and a lowbot or something mm -hmm. um and they were just sort of cheap ones and and got them home and i wanted to make it's actually it's a shit idea but i wanted to make admiral fat bar um and it was just basically a fat admiral admiral dak bar and yeah and kind of did it put the arms on put the head on and i think i've got photos of it somewhere it was kind of like uh this isn't like very respectful or anything like that but it, yeah. it, it, i once i kind of did it I went holy shit and that's when it kind of switched and i went all right 
um, I can make my own characters instead of kind of looking for these side characters in these, you know, expanded universe stories. I actually kind of like make my own versions of them because a lot of them you don't get a very good description. So it could kind of be anyone. And then, uh, and then it was really, it was probably like the day after I had that sort of like moment. Um, I think I just started ordering plastic because I was like, all right, fuck it. Like, I reckon I can. Um, I reckon this is, this is going to, I'm going to need more, you know, Admiral Akbar arms and I'm not going to go out and find, yeah. uh, you know, 10 Admiral Akbar sort of figures. So I was like, I know I did a little bit of knowledge around sort of like casting. So it was a pretty quick turnaround going from, I could sort of like mix these parts up to I'm going to mold and cast this stuff. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to kind of learn a lot of like molding, casting uh, when I went to art school, which was a very long time ago. It was straight out of high school. Um, but there was enough there that I knew exactly what, silicon i needed uh i knew enough about silicon to get some like molds going i knew what plastic i needed and i knew i needed pigment so i was kind of there wasn't this whole like where am i going to find this stuff i knew the store it actually moved closer to where i live which didn't matter because i still had to get it online through COVID. Yeah. um but and i think that was something when i was at art school i wanted to make like little little dudes like little kind of figurines but I'd sort of sculpt them and I'd cast them in plastic and I'd sort of draw on them. They were like little caricatures of little dudes in hoods and gas masks. And yeah, um, but I'd always stumble when it came to like articulation. I wanted them to like at least move their arms, but um, I just couldn't. I even tried like putting like skewers through and just like wooden articulation. And it, just, it was just shit. And I think I'd probably finished art school and just lost interest in it. But having done that so many times and I kind of remembered all the mistakes that I'd made. And um, so I feel like I had a little bit of a head start when I sort of started to, to mold and cast root legs. Um, I do remember the first thing I molded was a Lobot head and then an Admiral Akbar head and the Admiral Akbar one, I found some old um, orange ink and I just like slapped the ink on it and just where it kind of like started to sit and, uh, and I was like, holy shit, like th this is fucking like, it's like, and I knew like doing the gray washes, I used to do that on like paintings and stuff. So I knew I could kind of put a bit of that and give it a bit of texture. Yeah. And as soon as I did that and filled in his eyes black, I was like, holy shit, this looks like a, this looks like a real toy. Like I could actually do this. And that only took, you know, like a couple of minutes. And that's when I think thing, my brain started to be like, fuck Admiral Fatbar. Like I could make <laughs> everything. Like I could make so much stuff. If I can get it in my hands and I can, um, you know, hopefully not destroy it in the process of pulling it apart, which doesn't yeah. always, um, but I, I try to be really respectful of the parts that I use. Like I don't use parts that are um, obviously, you know, kind of like worth, worth a lot or even um, using characters that are just like, I don't, like I love Boba Fett, but there doesn't need to be any more Boba Fett's, you know, bootlegs out there in the world. Um, yeah. There's just, there's, there's just sort of so many. And, and I kind of want characters that are really, connect with not just like using a random head it's kind of got to have some sort of interest for me but um sorry that that's completely off track um, no it helps. Yeah, basically once that um once i cast that first lobot head and that admiral akbar head um then it was just like watching a lot of things like a lot of craftsman videos which i'd already kind of got into and i think it was he had a big a big sort of part to play in it as well because i was needing something just to kind of like chill out like he kind of going stir crazy in lockdown and just like his his voice in his videos was really calming and the stuff that he was making was super interesting um and also just learning about like you know do we use a different resin for the torso than we do with the arms because yeah. you know some some so there was a big part of like trying to work that out buying lots of different resins but um 
and you know using the wrong resins for the wrong type of toys or the wrong type of molds but uh, it's really nice to be able to kind of circle back now with using some of those stuff that I've worked with earlier and actually use it in the right kind of context you know not mm -hmm. having like really um, really kind of small parts and like why is there so many bubbles it's like the resin's way too thick to work through and yeah so it's cool to kind of circle back and um, use some of that stuff now and and kind of be like, yeah, this is this is good shit. I was just an idiot then, and I was also really impatient. So I'd be like yanking them out of the mold, and they'd come out all like warped and, um, yeah. But now I've kind of learned to let that shit cure because you're gonna have to recast it. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many things. I mean, there there was a point when I was casting where it was like, I will use the quickest stuff no matter what, and I'll just fill the holes. I'll just yeah. go for it, but. Yeah. I just realized like that resin gets so hot. So it was eating mold after mold. Yeah. And um, for a while I was trying to see like, how far can a mold go? So yeah, I would yeah. melt, I would like towards the end, I would melt pewter and dump it in the mold and most molds can handle it. It's not going to like blow up or anything. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it was just like, I, I, I went through, some of the mistakes you're talking about, like I went through so many molds and so many figures and have thrown those away. Cause it was like, well, I fucked up over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. It's a, it's yeah. a learning process, but it's so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I was really lucky that, you know, throughout COVID uh, I kept my day job. I was able to just pretty much transition to, to work from home. Um, so I was still getting a, a paycheck and, you know, I'd be lying if, if I kind of wasn't, you know, doing a little bit of sanding here and there when I was kind of like working from home just to kind of keep keep sane. Um, but that that was one thing I was really lucky um, to be able to kind of maintain was that that paycheck. We weren't going anywhere, so it's not like there was, yeah. you know, a lot of expenses. So it was a kind of a good time. Uh, now that I've sort of like reduced my days, you know, there's supply chain issues, there's like bumps up in prices. Now it's starting to get really real. Yeah. <laughs> I did a, I did a mental re-up on some, um, some materials the other day. And yeah, I was, I was really confronted with, with some pretty big hot price hikes and with no alternative kind of options of like, uh, so I can only get smoothed on from one supplier in Australia and, um, yeah, so I don't really have an alternative. So I'm kind of like, fuck, I need to, and magnets have gone up as well. So I kind of need to roll with that because um, I can't afford to buy. I used to buy like 700 magnets for, it was like 120 bucks. And now it's like, you know, 400 or something like that. So Jeez. yeah, it's insane. So I'm not, not sure what it is about that. Um, yeah, supply chain or something, but I've got to really think about how I can kind of work with that. Without kind of, you know, the, the work suffering or, you know, the, the content you know, coming out shit. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I'm not, I do magnetic articulation, but early on I realized like that's an expensive part of the, of a figure. Plus, yeah. like if I ever want to get, like my whole thing was like, if I ever want to get past that, I need to just start doing trial and error to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you earlier you said uh you have like respect for certain toys oh my gosh i do not have that and so i just butcher things if i need something it's gone yeah and so it's like trying to figure out um what pieces are going to work what arms are the easiest to cast like yeah because they all have that stupid like peg looking thing and so it's like what has the smallest one what fits in what body and 
Yeah. That's where I've been trying because I love that movement of an action figure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a big part um, for me anyway, like, you know, posing them and, and that kind of thing. And that was probably a big part of the G.I. Joe thing was they were just so much more posable as well. And, and as soon as I like put a weapon in one of their hands and had both hands like holding the gun, I was like, fuck, yeah. this was so much fun to play with as a kid. And I never knew I wouldn't go for a G.I. Joe articulation sort of style. But um, yeah, it was just it was it was a big part of just putting them on the shelf and being able to just put an arm up or, or something. However, having done um, the Sand Raider with DKE and, and Paul Rentler, that was a really good experience to kind of make a really nice figure that didn't sort of rely on the articulation. It's under a bubble anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, but it was, yeah, I think I got too fixated on everything needs to be articulated and moving, whereas there can be exceptions when you make something that's really nice that doesn't yeah. have to rely on that because it's getting a really cool package and uh, it's got a nice wash on it. So, uh, I would like that's kind of maybe one of the directions is doing sort of still having a bit of articulation, but maybe just leaving the legs solid or, or something like that. So, because, um, yeah, I, it needs just a little bit of some. Yeah, I, I think uh, for me, I rely if I want it to like articulate, I throw it in a bag and I make a cool header and I focus yeah. more on the packaging. Yeah, but yeah. if it's going to be in a bubble for me, that thing, no articulation, glue that shit down. Like it is what it is. And yeah, yeah. It makes the process that much more fun. Yeah. Because yeah. I can get through so many more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that was, it was definitely the, um, yeah, with the Sand Raider. It was just, yeah, insane, like the, the amount of time. I didn't realize until I'd sort of produced maybe sort of 10 of them. And I was like, holy shit, I just need to trim them and put a wash on them. And I'm like, and they're done. Like there is no... Yeah. Another step of like you know you know drill the pilot holes, drill the magnet holes, glue the magnets in. It just I was like this is amazing. So uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd like to kind of do that sort of more, but um, and only in certain cases. I think I don't know. I think I'm like rambling. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so you are pulling. Uh, you start in 2020, and which is crazy because your work looks like you've been doing it for quite a while. Um, but you, you, you're starting to pull those casts and do those things in 2020. Walk me through that process. Like you, you kind of had an unfair advantage cause you, you dealt with silicones and plastics and stuff prior. So those first couple molds, those first couple toys, what are those looking like for you? And then what does that search look like for other artists? So I think, so once I sort of was pretty comfortable with um, molding certain parts, I might actually have some of them here uh and i think i got in my head that i wanted to make my own sort of kid bash character i actually do have him he's never been molded i think the head's been molded he's he's he was he's called alan akbar so mm-hmm. what he was he was a admiral akbar miscast head and a nine nub miscast head i'm not even sure if it'll show up uh and i just kind of like joined them together okay uh, and put a little bit of sculpty on there. Yeah, I'm in for it. And it actually came out really cool. It is like one of them things of like, why? It looks like a real alien from, yeah. you know, from Star Wars. So, um, yeah, I sort of went all out and did like custom, um, what do you call them? Like cargo pockets. So this is a yeah. Dengar base and, and fully made this character. It's, it's somewhere like really deep down in my Insta. Um, and I have no idea why I never continued with it. I think I'd worked 
the prototype too much. There was too much paint textures. Uh, and I think sort of simultaneously, I was probably just like making other molds and that mm. kind of thing. But I was, I was using really silly things to like make molds. So I'd have like a, a plastic like parts organizer and I'd be like pouring silicon in there and <laughs> trying to use that. And like, so I'll be like, oh, you know, this is like an infinite thing of molds and then not realizing that silicon just fucking sticks and suctions to that yeah. plastic. So like trying to get them out and yeah, there was a lot of trial and error. I was doing a lot of two-part molds. Actually, all the molds I was making were all two-part molds. So um, they obviously took a, a whole lot of time and, this is a this is a mummy stalker one, so okay. it's really old. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of kind of a lot of using a sculpture, a lot of sort of trying to you know how do you vent the toes? Because uh, I didn't I wanted to kind of retain the the actual natural foot kind of shape. Yeah. So I didn't want to kind of be pouring into the feet, and so there was a ton of time making two part molds, watching lots of videos, trying to get those edges really really clean. Um, and then, yeah, making an entire figure that I never released and just kind of went on. But there was a lot of the things that I kind of use or became part of like my main sort of cast of characters would come from miscast. So I had a, a Rancor Keeper that had the top of the head missing. So I like sort of shaved it off, smoothed it out and then did like the brain thing, which kind of evolved into like hollowing half the head out and putting an actual brain in there. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I kind of got stuck in a bit of a loop with using a lot of the same parts and a lot of the same heads and that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh in terms of artists at the time i would lean heavily on people like one trick pony uh max was a massive help um with just navigating a whole lot of shit from like you know pr pressure pots to the, the type of resin to just general like just talking shit and just yeah. kind of like you know sharing um pictures and sharing work <clears throat> pardon me so uh that was really cool and then i think it was around a couple of months after I started, we kind of got pulled into that bit of a toy group with crumbs and, mm. and that was a really great way to kind of obviously meet yourself like trash can monster. And it was helpful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was really cool. Like I was, you know, I was still catching up with vomiting droids and um, who else was there? Good like silver mutant pocket yep. toy co like still having contact with these dudes. The um, yeah. Like I, that's, it's, it's insane. I've, not someone that kind of goes out and you know makes new friends or anything like that but that was probably been the most humbling and, and really cool experiences to kind of find this whole new group of friends that there's absolutely no way i would have found in any other and these are friends that you know none of my friends growing up gave a shit about toys like yeah. my brother my brother does but i didn't have anyone to connect with on the toy stuff and you know and then how that kind of bleeds into like the art you know toy art and that sort of thing so yeah it's been amazing it's probably a, a really big part of like why i'm still doing what i'm doing is you know having those kind of those networks and those connections and being a still bounce shit off people and um yeah but then i obviously found early on healy made uh and i was seeing the raiders um pop up here and there and I honestly thought I was like, damn, this is a, this is like a eighties toy that I've completely missed. Like, who is this, what show is this dude from? Like, and then yeah. eventually found out, you know, that's Healy Mage Raiders. So, um, and then went down a complete rabbit hole of like his kind of work and, and then started to make like Frankenstalker, um, which is just a rip off of Healy Mage's untitled. Yeah. <laughs> seeing all those it's funny that you bring up all those people because i remember seeing all them and seeing like hey you guys are killing it like explain to me how you're killing it explain to me these ways right and so it's cool to 
like relive because I don't I think this is the bummer part of it is we don't connect with all them all the time yeah yeah like they it was a cool group that like was super helpful and I don't think that what was uh interesting is I don't think that all of us knew that we were all new yeah 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 and that yeah ugh, just crazy yeah it was I still remember like going into that first that first Zoom session and seeing everyone's faces and everyone's just like nervously sitting there just like don't know what yeah. to sort of say or do and then once the ice was broken it was really cool it was a really nice um yeah and I think I think you're right with like yeah we didn't all kind of know how new we kind of all were and trying to just kind of be like hey how do you how do you do this and then uh, and then, yeah, it naturally kind of evolved into its own kind of thing with, you know, with your own kind of relationships with some of them. And, and yeah, some of them I don't speak to. Some of them I don't even know if they're still around making toys. But um, yeah. it, was, it was a really special kind of time for, to connect with a whole bunch of also really diverse. Like it wasn't just kind of a bunch of um, one Australian dude and American dude. It was like, you know, we had Canada in there. We had Sao Paulo. We had, um, yeah, just like a, a nice wide net of, of artists with all the different kind of styles it wasn't like we were all just you know gi joe toy makers or, or something like yeah. that everyone sort of had their own um personal flair which is really cool what's so interesting now um and what's cool about the podcast is i'm, I'm interacting with people from everywhere um yeah. and i i didn't know how big this was so we have people in like iceland and and moscow and all these places and it's starting to even spread into the middle east like there's yeah, wow. um, a couple in Turkey and um, there's one in Iran that I've been talking to wow. and it's, it's crazy. Like figuring out this is going to sound awful, right? <laughs> like I know for sure how it's going to come off, but I'm going to preface it with this. When you think about some of these places, you don't think that their first inclination is like, I want to make toys, right? Yeah. That's not what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um and so it is so humbling and so uh, like awe-inspiring to see people everywhere creating toys and using different materials and still coming out with the same thing. Yeah. yeah. That is like, I, I ordered some stuff um, from, I, I wish I knew how to like say his name properly. It's like B. Borobregard. Okay. Uh, he's in Iran and um I, I worked with a couple different artists to get stuff from him and I'm so stoked because I don't know the chemicals that he used. I don't know like any of it. And it, it's just an exciting thing. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's really wild. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, you can be using all these different kind of materials, but then at the end of the day, it comes out looking like something that, you know, that everyone's kind of, everyone's working on. Uh, but yeah, I definitely get that, you know, the, <laughs> with some of these yeah places where all this other shit is going on and it's kind of like, wow, you've, you're making toys at the moment. I thought it would be kind of like you'd be taking shelter, you know, a lot of the time in a, yeah. in a basement somewhere, like not just kind of like out in your balcony, like pouring resin or something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's Doesn't that sound so crazy? Like, uh, I don't know. Even with like all the stuff happening with Russia and Ukraine and all that like junk, like there's still people that listen and make toys in Moscow. And it's like, how, what is happening <laughs> with the world right now? Um yeah. But yeah, and so when you you start creating and in that beginning part when you're interacting with all these artists for the first time, what is pushing you to can, like to try new things, right? Because you you started off where you started putting brains and like carving out heads that were miscast. I throw miscasts away, 
but you were using them like for like great stuff. And so what was pushing you? Because you got to a point where your mummy stalker, if I remember correctly, is like half of the head is missing so that a different head goes in. Correct. Yeah. 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 And so it like, what, where's all that coming from? What, what makes you like keep pushing? Um, I think I, the, definitely it's just the rush and the adrenaline that I, yeah. that I kind of get. And, you know, it's, it's not, you're jumping out of a, an airplane type of adrenaline, but it is like, I guess a, a slow release adrenaline that I, that I must get from and dopamine rushes and all that kind of stuff um, that I get from casting is the excitement of like, can I make this work? Can I, you know, smash all these things together and, and kind of make it work. But I also work on a lot of different things. I, I, there's no way I could ever just focus on one, figure in one project for I've got to have like four different things like when I paint figures I'll paint sort of five or six at a time uh, and then I'll have another figure in the pot Um, so I kind of spread over like four or five different projects and I think it's that constant like bouncing between those yeah Um, and then and then they end up sort of going off in their own direction anyway like uh, at the moment I've kind of and I think part of it was probably a bit to do, like, say, the the magnet increases, but it was also just getting a little bit, I don't want to say bored of the 3.75 scale, but I was just yeah. kind of like, um, yeah, maybe I just kind of wasn't seeing the parts that I thought I could use. So I kind of have taken a bit of a left turn into making, like, little cashies. Mm-hmm. Um, so making, like, Oh, you went Franken- small. Yeah, so going small because I've got a, a bunch of uh, Toxic Crusaders Super 7 little cashies that I bought ages ago. They're on my shelf. And and I think I just kind of wanted – I must have wanted a bit of a challenge because they're obviously a bit of a different sort of mould type and definitely a different material. Uh, this one's actually resin, but even uh, coming across like a certain rubber that they use, once you put it in silicon and the pressure pipe, it just coats the mould in, in this really oily residue, which is really weird. So, mm. uh, And I think that was kind of like, holy shit, uh, I want to get really good at sort of like molding these and keep bashing these now, which is, it's been a nice little kind of like side project to all the other stuff that I sort of do. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't think I wouldn't really want to go any bigger. Um, definitely something's kind of smaller, um, but I think it just, I don't know what keeps me going. I think it is just the rush of um, wanting to kind of create other things, wanting to see what something looks like in a different color. And then you cast in a different color and that color reminds you of, you know, a toy or a, you know, a certain post that you saw from someone. And then that kind of, then you're sort of off in another direction. Um, Sometimes it's pure boredom of just kind of like, I, I don't know what to do. Sometimes I just feel I need to cast something. And so I'll just think of something stupid and cast it and, 50% 50% of the time, I'm like, holy shit, I can really use this. This will be cool. And then the other 50% of the time, I'm like, what a fucking waste of resin that was. Like, <laughs> no one's going to want this. This color is terrible. Like, yeah, uh, this sucks. And I just put it in my box of parts. And, and then eventually, you know, you circle Cycle back around. Back through. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, use those parts. And, and I think that's what I do if I'm feeling a bit kind of um, unmotivated or not particularly inspired. I just kind of force myself to go to my parts box and just pull things out and be like, oh, those colors look good together. And then, yeah. then usually after like five minutes, I'm kind of like, holy shit, holy shit, yeah, this looks awesome. And then all of a sudden, I've got five figures laid out that I can put together. Um, yeah. I feel like I do that a lot with, um, like, because I have like a cubby system with all this shit in it. That's what it becomes, right? It's just shit. Like, after a yeah. certain point, it's like, that's one arm. I don't know where the rest of the body is, but that's an arm. <laughs> um, and I feel like that's how I make some of the figures that I'm like falling in love with. I'm just throwing things together. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and what I feel like what's cool, I think what's interesting and cool in talking to you is when you get bored, you make these new figures, you mold and you cast. For me, when I get bored, I find a figure, I transform that into something else, repaint it. And then that's where I'm headed. Yeah. And so like, that means there's something in you that's willing to put in the work to come up with something completely different. Like my project I'm working on now is just me repainting and sanding and like making a toy out of something that was already a toy. Yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah, I've definitely, this is probably the only thing in my entire life that I've been this committed and motivated to like, um, yeah, literally in the last two years, I would have taken, you know, five days off. There is just always something like there is just something to, something to do, something to paint, something to kind of tweak. But yeah, this is the first in my entire life that I've committed to it for like, obviously I have been in long-term relationships and that kind of thing. And currently in that, but in terms of like interests or hobbies, I'd really obsessively collect, you know, certain McFarlane so movie maniacs when I was a kid like the six inch McFarlane kind of things like Terminator ones and I'd go on like a two-week spree of just like I need to find this one yeah and then just kind of be like eh, I'm over it and I'll find something else whereas and I was kind of waiting for the toy my the toy bubble in my head just to kind of burst and be like eh. but it just hasn't and it just kind of keeps going and I thought um yeah this has never really happened I would usually get bored of something definitely by this point I'd get bored of it after like two weeks yeah um, and then it's just it's not kind of like that and I think just trying to constantly sort of like trying to challenge myself and yeah making a different sort of mold type or um, using a different resin or um, also trying to push myself to collaborate with with other artists and and do that sort of thing which is something that I only probably started to do like six or eight months ago um, which has been really good but that's kind of like a whole other area of like we can kind of have our ideas of what our toys look like but then you're sort of give that idea to someone else or and they just come out with something completely out of left field or just a, a color that you would never have thought of or a style of you know drawing and you're like holy shit why haven't we been doing this for like ever like yeah. why are we why are we only coming together now so uh i think that's that's also a really exciting thing to to do but also it's a, it's quite a complicated thing i think collabs you know you can be go from very uh intensive like oh what, what about like this part if we just like you know shift it that bit to people just kind of do what you want I don't you know this is yeah. your piece so um I find that's always a little bit tricky to navigate but um it's usually it's pretty clear within you know your first couple of interactions with the whoever you're collabing with that there is the expectation of like you can either just go straight and be like hey I like to get a lot of feedback and I'm really insecure so I'm going to be messaging you with a lot of photos um so if that's okay but yeah uh, so let's talk about that you you you're now in like shows and conventions and stuff and is this the first one you were in i don't mm, think so right nah so the like with dke or yeah because yeah, being so, so I, far away it's like such a pain yeah logistics logistics are pretty crazy so last year last year uh july comic con mm-hmm. yeah comic con was um my first one with DKE, but I made those toys and sent them off like two months before. So yeah, yeah. Just, I've, I've got to be thinking a month or two months ahead, um, which is really good. That was a pretty big slog. Like that figure had two heads, had a brain that could come out and it came with two brains, came with a blaster. Um, I think double-sided backer as well, uh, which was, yeah, which was probably like the first time I'd done a double-sided backer. First time I'd done that many figures of the same design. Yeah. Um, in sort of a bunch of different colors. So that was, that was really good. That was a really good um, 
training for me to be kind of like you need to be able to focus on this one project break it down into kind of um i had them all in cups so each cup had like 10 figures i think or or something like that and yeah just managed to kind of break it down into sort of something simple where it wasn't an arduous kind of task it was just kind of like cool you just work through that cup of parts and then if you feel like it, you go on to the next one and and it actually worked really well and then by the i think the second day i wasn't even thinking about like oh this is such a drain working on this one figure i was just blasting through it so yeah it was a really good lesson to be kind of like you, you're gonna need to work out how to kind of sit there and focus on one project because otherwise you'll never be in a show or you'll never actually do like a, a big run of figures um so that was really cool and i think they sold out after a couple of months um i think we sold half on the weekend and then you know by the i think it was september um we might have sold out which, which was really good i didn't really expect to, to kind of sell on but there's a little bit of a trick in there. So they're all different colors. Oh, there was five different colors. Uh, and luckily one, one collector wanted the, the whole five sets. So I was like, yeah. actually, that was a good little, uh, that wasn't intentional to kind of go in there and be like, this is how I get people to buy a whole set. It was more just um, focusing on different colors probably helped ease the monotony of it. Like uh, if they were all the same color, that would have been probably an issue. I would have got bored real, real easy. Um, so yeah, so that was really cool to, to, to do um, Comic Con, and then uh, I was approached to participate in the DKE Con, uh, which was completely different because <laughs> I wasn't sort of making my own figure and, and that sort of thing. I was actually making someone else's. So I made Paul's um, yeah. Sand Raider, uh, which was an absolutely wild, wild opportunity because I think in the timeline that was actually the first first or second collab that someone sort of approached me about um and I was like and I was already very much aware of Paul's work and loved his loved his stuff and um and yeah got approached to kind of do it and, I, and it was almost that moment of like are you sure you've messaged the right person like this dude is fucking awesome at what he does and yeah uh and I'm a massive newbie to this kind of scene it sort of felt like and I'm like are you sure this is who you want to to pair up and and yeah it came out came out awesome um like I said it was working out that kind of collab thing and I, and I would sort of like message be like hey these legs or this legs and but it, yeah it was pretty clear sort of early on uh and he was just really kind of up front I was like you know should we put like the the robes like because it makes it look like a real um Tuscan Raider and he's like nah I don't really like that and I was like sweet and that was kind of enough yeah. to kind of be like all right I'll go build some legs uh, and then he just sent me a couple of photos. And I think just at the, around the same time, I just disassembled a Mando. Uh, didn't really have any plans for it, just thought they were cool limbs. And he just happened to send me a couple of pics of um, his Mando figures on the shelf. And he's like, you know, I kind of like the armor. And I was like, fuck yes. Uh, yeah. So it just, it just flowed. Like, and I was kind of like, all right, cool. I can take it from here now. And then, um, and then, you know, would start sort of making the molds and, and chopping it up and, um, yeah, it just kind of really, really flowed. It was just such a weird thing. So I made them in like October and then they didn't get released till March or whenever it was. Oh, okay, we got to go back. You <laughs> made your full run for DKE in October. Yeah. You were so October. far ahead of the game. <laughs> October, November. Yeah, it would have been, I would have started probably late October and then blasted through them most of November um and then december i remember I, I made them i maybe like painted half of them and they kind of sat there for a couple of weeks because i was like i think i was i was kind of like wait a minute i've got heaps of time yeah i'm really busy with other stuff what am i like why am i 
focusing on this so much. Um, so it was probably a month where I sort of dropped off. But it was also that like once I got the idea, I had to sort of like run through. I had to keep following through because I was like, yeah. if I stop, what happens if I don't start again or if I lose that kind of bit of inspiration or that thought? Um, if I stop now, uh, yeah, I might kind of forget, which is probably a bigger like fucking metaphor for like why I keep making things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, around like why I just keep sort of going because I'm like if I stop, yeah, I might might lose the ideas or might lose the inspiration, which isn't true. But um, there is always that fear of like all of a sudden getting some sort of creator's block and just being um, really depressed that I can't, you know, think of something cool. Yeah. So, um yeah, so I can't actually remember what the question was. <laughs> uh, well, I think we were just talking about like the fact that you crushed it on how like early uh, that was. Damn. Yeah. Because yeah, I DK one. Yeah. What's great? So I stress constantly. I I do that sometimes where it's like, okay, I have. Uh, I think I started for DK Econ in December. Yeah. And like all in January. Um once dub so i i mean this is so stupid i start producing the figure and then i'm like hey dove is this something you want and like i do it so backwards which is so stupid because at any moment if he's like no that's that i don't think that's a good idea i yeah. have to throw all those <laughs> figures like i i don't know what to do with them so um luckily he was in for it and i but by i was probably like crushing it and maybe in like early February I was almost done and I he he lived or he works like DKE is only like two hours away from me oh, wow so I don't pay for shipping I just drive it up and then we call it a day yeah um, but he yeah I, I realized I was like oh I got so much time I'm not worried about it so I definitely understand that yeah yeah and, and i think there was definitely a huge excitement factor to it as well to be able to kind of like work with, with paul and and use that that image that sand raider image and um yeah that was a huge excitement thing of kind of like really wanted to get it right really wanting to lean into the flow of just creating as well and not kind of over criticizing or you know really pulling it apart just um just being kind of happy with the the little additions that i made but also not like overloading it because it is his image is really busy with lots of little kind of like badges and things. And, and Dove was really helpful when he just kind of said, you know, imagine it was, um, imagine you're working in the Kenner factory, you know, in, in the seventies or the eighties and you've got to make a figure of this. And that was, that was all I needed. I was like, Oh yeah, cool. All right. I can do that. Uh, it was just a really easy way to contain what could have been a really, I could have made things really complicated by, you know, carving out little things and like sticking them on and which would be cool, but it would just nothing practical about it. You wouldn't be able to mold any of it. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that, and it's also, like I sort of mentioned before, kind of taught me to, that not everything needs to be articulated. Like you can have a really, really nice figure and a beautiful packaging and there's no need to, you know, to sort of rip it open and, and pull it apart. Like it is what it is because it's all together, not because, you know, you've got the figure there and the card on the shelf on the other, yeah. on the other side of the room. So I've become more and more into, um, the, like, you know where the legs are stationary, but the waist turns? Yeah, yeah. There's something about that that's way more simple and so much yeah. easier to cast. And I don't need magnets. Like that seems yeah. way more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, and this is something that I really need to, to get into more, is just you know exploring different types of articulation. Um, just, you know, they don't have to be 
that sort of like perfect glios. You know, you can kind of use a bit of a you know spare glios pegs and and work with that. But uh, I think yeah, we can become way too like reliant on magnets. Uh, yeah, it's just not a sustainable thing. There's there's so many reasons they can go wrong as well. They pop out and especially uh, I feel horrible. There'd be so many of my toys out there that I've sold to people that the magnets probably just popped out instantly, and I cringe really on the daily basis that I'm kind of like, oh, fuck, there's so many toys that just don't yeah. work anymore. Um, well, they still work, but, you know, they're not as what they used to be. Yeah, I definitely, I, I try not to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's so, like, so disheartening because my early, like, I'm what we're all two years into this now. I think those first couple toys I produced, I'm so sorry if you're listening. <laughs> like, you can return them and I'll redo it and get it out to you. Like one of my least, my first figure I ever produced, I see it, my best friend bought it and he like put it on his wall. And every time I go to his house, I see it and I try to steal it because I want to redo it. It looks like shit. And he just, he loves it. And I fucking hate it so much. But uh, so you, out of all this, you are constantly creating, you have a full-time job and yet you're still creating constantly and still have a patreon correct for the patreon so the the work the work uh the the job day job stuff changed uh about 12 months ago uh i took indefinite leave because i was burnt out from my job um, okay. and just wasn't really feeling it and i think you know the toy stuff was was pretty good at the time i was confident there, there wasn't like an idea of completely switching to quitting my job and then going straight into full-time toys um but i was exploring options for less work you know um probably looking more at like the hustle kind of stuff like yeah. you know trying to like go walk dogs and, and do all this kind of stuff so uh, which i still is still kind of the plan in the back of my brain but I, yeah i was lucky enough to have four months of paid sick leave uh well i wasn't lucky that was my sick leave i earned that shit like yeah fucking... <laughs> that was like eight years of um eight yeah. years in this in this job so uh i took four months off and and in that time it was the opportunity to like really refine some things and a big part of it was to set up the patreon um because i was like this is i feel like this is the only kind of way i can kind of really break down some of this um shipping stuff if i can guarantee good orders i can guarantee you know kind of like less cost in shipping and combining things so uh ironed all that out which which was really good and then i went back to work in september last year but i only do two days a week now so okay which is really good like i kind of have a bit more of a focused role so it's a completely different type of it's not completely different it's it's just different to role what i was doing before not as quite as much pressure and obviously they're only there for two days so um and then the rest of the time the rest of the week i'm creating uh yeah. and, and and doing stuff like that and it's also the the kind of less work yeah it's it's less stress like it, it I'm a youth drug and alcohol worker, so that sort of stuff does wear on you after a while. Um, so, you know, you hear a lot of bad shit and, um, yeah. yeah, it's just not something that has – it's definitely a job that's got like a shelf life and an expiry and, and then and for a really good reason because if you kind of stay in the job and you're not maybe that of a much of a positive support, you can actually be doing a lot of damage for the young people. So um, yeah. it's really important to kind of, when you are feeling burnt out, just to kind of take that time out. And, and I knew I couldn't go straight back into doing the same, you know, having a whole bunch of clients. Uh, I wanted something a lot more hands-off, a lot more kind of brief intervention um, and also a lot more like behind the scenes, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard 
to explain, but um, I'm really glad I, I did that and I was lucky enough to, to yeah, sort of maintain this position for like another 12 months, I think. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So, and then, yeah, the, the, the Patreon was, um, it's, it's been unbelievable, like the, the response to it and people just kind of like staying on and, uh, and sending it. So it's a lot of work, but, uh, yeah, it's insane. I thought it would take me like months and months and months to kind of sell out these tiers. So I probably like put too many up and I think I've like reduced a spot by one, but yeah, in my brain, I was like, this is going to take at least six months to like for these spots to fill up. And I think it was like after a month, it was those uh, mail drop tiers were all full and I was like, holy fuck, now I've actually got to like make all this. Yeah, now you got to go. A lot of figures, like, I was like, damn, that's like 20 figures or, or something and then um, i got to do that in four weeks and then start it all over again. So yeah. that's been a, a big lesson in like discipline and, you know, staying on um, uh, deadlines and that sort of thing because I think, you know, when you're releasing your own toys, you're kind of like, I can release it this week or I can release it next week. It doesn't really depend on anything. But yeah, when people are kind of pledging you money every month, you've got to make sure that you've, you know, that they're getting the pieces are getting finished, that they're getting sent out on time, um, which is always a, a challenge. But it also kind of sets up. Um, it's been really good lately. A lot of people have been getting in on the claim drops, so uh, yeah, it's cool. But I'm going to make a big, big, big change on Patreon in the coming weeks, um, which is going to have a lot to do with these little cashy guys. So, yeah, um, trying to to set up. Yeah, I guess a new a new line of toys, but also kind of make it, you know, pretty exclusive for patrons and um, yeah, different style, hopefully because it's small as well. We can make the tiers a bit cheaper and because I do want to kind of have different levels of accessibility. Like, you know, if you are willing to pay a hundred dollars a month for Patreon, I will give you a whole lot of shit, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, if you can only kind of chip in say 10 bucks over two months and then, you know, you might get a couple of cashies or something like that. So just kind of, yeah, because the tiers I've got are quite expensive, like $65 for painted figures and uh, marbled figures. That's a bit of a, a bit of a bite each month for, for some people. So trying to make something that's a little bit more um, affordable and also yeah. a little bit less like labor intensive because all those Patreon pieces are all fully articulated. And um, again, making minis are, are really fun. And, you know, the cleanup is a quarter, not even a quarter of like the cleanup on a, on a 3.75. And, and they're just fucking really cute. Like they're squishy when I make them squishy and the marbling yeah. and the resin, it's just, it's just a really nice little um, thing to have sort of pivoted to, which this was never in like the big game plan of like TDB and toys. I'm going to do 3.75. Then I'm going to do Keshi. Then I'm going to do, it was just kind of like, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to see if I can mold this. And then it was just another direction I started to, to drift into. Yeah, which is so sick. I love, you know, there's some people that don't love Patreon. There's some people that do. The There's one called Kofi or Kofi or whatever it's called. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I like Patreon. I think, like, it's just a fun way. I mean, it is busy, right? Like, yeah. you, you are producing stuff. And because um, we have one for Toys on Tap. And it's cool to see that people care about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. If if anything, if one person jumps on and is like, "Yeah, I'll give a dollar. I don't need shit from you," it's yeah. like, awesome. Like yeah. you cared enough for that. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. So it is, it, it's it's the hardest part. Like I, I was really really um, unsure of, of doing it because I was kind of like, I don't actually want this to be. And I've never set it up to be kind of like a. This is how you get how I do all my sort of toys. It's like all the stuff that I've learned to do. I've looked up online I'd like this yeah. is stuff that I, I've not invented any of this shit like 
Um, so I never kind of set it up as like a how-to or like a behind the scenes. I do sort of post some behind the scenes stuff, but mine was primarily set up to be a subscription toy kind of thing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, if you, if you do want to sort of chip in and, you know, sort of contribute some money that that's kind of cool. But yeah, I, I was really conflicted for a long time of setting up a Patreon. Cause I was like, it's, I'm just going to be seen now as I only share shit on Patreon. And it's like, and it's taken so long to just to kind of work out how Patreon works best for, for me or for, for the patrons and, yeah. you know, um, what is, you know, relevant to post. Cause initially I was just posting heaps of shit. I was just fucking posting photos of like, Oh, I made this today. I made this. And then it was just kind of like, probably flooding it and then i was spending a lot of time yeah taking the photos and putting it on there i'm like people don't really care about this they want so it's taken me a, a long time to kind of refine it and sort of um make it kind of useful but also not boring because you don't want to be seeing like one thing on patreon and then the next thing it's the yeah. same thing that i posted to instagram so trying really hard to sort of um yeah to kind of use it but yeah, it's, a, it's it's an interesting platform i'm really glad i've got it um and I'm just, yeah, really thankful to the patrons that have actually stayed on for, for so long and that signed up. So shout out to all those patrons out there. There we go. Uh, and then there's a new toy store that's in Australia. Uh, and you, I, they did a, like a live video thing or whatever. And I, I always jump on anyone's live. I don't care who it is. I'll jump on and say something. Um, but your toys were in the background and I was like, oh shit, I know it. That's awesome. Nice. It was your uh, mummy stalkers. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it was. I, I hope it. I hope I saw the right thing. Um, but that's cool. So, are, is that shop near you? Uh so it's it's in the middle of the city. So it's about a twenty minute drive. So it's it's definitely the closest. Yeah. Uh, bootleg art space. Uh, it's probably the first bootleg art space that I've ever um encountered within Melbourne. Uh, we've got like a vintage, vintage collectibles kind of store really overpriced great store but like it's more yeah. of a museum than it is a but yeah they don't sell any kind of bootleg stuff um yeah. so yeah so this little scene which i really haven't become a part of until um maybe like six or seven months ago so whilst starting out in the scene i was only having contact with you know like you guys like people in the us and i didn't really connect all that much with a, a local kind of scene and then yeah like seven months ago i got approached to be in a show and then they had the store so it's kind of weird i feel like such a newbie again i feel like i'm kind of like not too much of a newbie in like the overall scene but like the local scene i feel like i'm just kind of like some some new kid at a new school and i'm like yeah. uh, i don't know i'm not as I'm not as cool as I thought I was in person. And, oh, man, I've actually got to meet these people. And, like, you know, not like they're, they're awesome people. But it was more just like my own anxieties of, like, i got to wait so long being able to kind of make these toys but not have to sort yeah. of, like, be be human. Um, and then, yeah, I, I get pretty sort of shy and stuff. So, um, but it's, it's, it's an awesome space. And to kind of see how much it's grown in, so they opened the 6th of January um, and, I sort of go in maybe like once a month to sort of drop off toys. I really should be there a lot more, but um, just busy. But yeah, to kind of go in after like a month and just kind of see how much more stuff has come in and it's all local artists as well. So I think, you know, we can have overseas work as long as it's collabed with a, with a local um, person. And uh, it's, it's fucking nuts just to go in there and be like, holy shit, where are these people coming from? And like, how have we not come across these before and not kind of being like, Oh, Oh yeah. Well they live in Iceland or something. Well, I'm not going to, I can't really have a much of a kind of like ongoing, you know, sort of thing here, but like, yeah. you're like this is all stuff that's produced in Melbourne or within Australia. And uh, it, it's wild. Um, 
So really, really lucky. They're working really hard to set up, you know, shows and they did a whole bunch of collabs through March, which were insane. I was lucky enough to um, make a murder burger, Frankenstalker's little spaceship thing. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just mind boggling to kind of be like, holy shit, there's so much really, really good local talent that I completely overlooked. Um, and also I didn't kind of know where to start. I'm like, where do you find people around you that sort of make toys without kind of knowing who, yeah. where, where to sort of start. It was just bizarre. Um, but yeah, the, the shop is, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's in such a good spot in the city. Like it's, it's literally in the middle of the city. You know, you got um, tram lines. It's, it's like 20 meters from the corner of like one of the, the main drags of, of the Melbourne CBD. Um, but yeah. And it's also across the road from this like collectibles nerd store called Minotaur, which sells comics and graphic novels. So you actually Perfect. could not get a better spot because like, yeah, you walk across and you're like, hey, what's that? This is not a toy store and it's all bright and it's got all just stuff yeah. in the window. It is. It's just brilliant. So I really hope they can, um, hopefully they can stay on for a bit longer. Uh, I think it might have been a six-month lease, but um, fingers crossed that they can keep it going. Yeah, it's rad. I, you know, I always, it's tough, right? I, I with the shops, I don't know much about how they function or any of that and i know that toy stores like throughout history we have kb toys and toys r us and these things have gotten wiped out and no um and so to hear that a shop opens up because we have like um e2k here and it's killing it they're doing great they're hosting shows constantly it's awesome um and it was just so cool to see that shop pop up i remember i saw that shop pop up and then i put out um uh, some kind of a request or something of like, tell me all the artists that are in Australia. Yeah. And someone had just sent me like 40 artists. And I was like, Oh my <laughs> God. And so I got to post about it and like, it was a cool thing. And I, I think we forget that there are so many artists all over the world doing exactly what we do. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still yeah, small. It's, yeah. 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 It is. It's, it's, it's kind of funny how, how, it's a real kind of like paradox of how big and how small it can feel all at the yeah. same time. Like how I think you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, like, you know, kind of trying to get your work sort of seen, you know, algorithm and, and Instagram and that kind of thing. Well, sometimes it can yeah. feel, you feel like you're getting lost within the, you know, all these thousands of posts where in reality it's, you know, <laughs> it's actually kind of a, a small community, but it's not. I just, it's something that I kind of like go back and forth within my head of like, uh, it's almost like you want like a roster or like a roll call of everyone that's kind of in the scene and be like, actually, yeah, we are. We're fucking big. Like this is getting yeah. bigger. Um, Dub once said, or he, I've heard him say a couple of times and then uh, on this like mini doc that came out, yeah. uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but he talks about how there's a possibility of like four to 500 artists that he works with. Yeah, that is wow. a huge number. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> and so it's like trying to figure out where like imposter syndrome kicks in right so it's oh, like yeah. where do i fit do i fit yeah. in this scene do i fit in what i'm doing do i fit anywhere in here but yeah. yeah the scene it's growing and it's it's dope to be able to um talk to people like suck lord yeah where it started and then say like that's cool that he still has a place in the scene and that's cool that this is banging but man it is so different now yeah 
yeah yeah it's it's really interesting when when um yeah when you're interviewing those sort of like older artists the ones that were sort of there at the more probably like the beginning it's fascinating to kind of just see the general attitudes of i guess other artists maybe not being so open and or about sort of like sharing things or you know if you were kind of like doing 3.75 so all of a sudden you were like ripping off this other dude where it's it's really hard to imagine that kind of stuff now where we're all just kind of like riffing off each other and, and just kind of like doing doing our thing and everyone's really helpful but uh it sounded like a really tough space to be in for for a long time to kind of when you're all you're probably trying to do is like fuck man how do i get this bubble out of this shoulder like what do i need to do and everyone yeah. you ask is just kind of like fuck you dude get out of here um, yeah i oh god i think about that shit all the time <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean as we were coming to the end of this podcast this my favorite part i talk about it every week is my favorite part because you get to plug everything everything about you as the artist and like where how they can get on your patreon how they can get like your toys the shops that you're in shows all that stuff so this is all about you plug away man Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, so best port of call, first port of call would probably be the TD Bean Toys Instagram. Uh, definitely check out that. Hit the link tree and you'll be able to find the Patreon and the Etsy store as well. Uh, I've got a bunch in the Etsy, bunch of stuff in the Etsy store at the moment. Lots of marble stalkers, which yeah. if you're listening, you probably can't see, but they're all like marbled, um, Frankenstalker, marble zombie dudes. Um, so there's always stuff going into the shop, usually at least once a month probably more like once a fortnight uh and then i've got some work at this is not a toy store in the city so that's 265 little collins street if i am remembering that correctly again hit up their instagram page as well as all the other cool shit they've got in their toy store uh patreon is probably going to go through a bit of a change so early may i would definitely encourage people to check out patreon for what these changes might look like uh trying to streamline it a little bit more so hopefully it's just uh, a bit kind of clearer and um yeah just better and what else i think dke got some sand raiders on dke toys from uh paul rentler and myself uh i think i've still got some pieces in e2k as well i, I definitely need to get some more work over there um for some upcoming stuff and damn I feel like I'm forgetting something. I do have a YouTube page, but I don't really post anything there. That's probably more catered for, for patrons and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but definitely Instagram is where I spend a lot of my time posting and looking for looking at other people's work and that sort of thing. So uh, upcoming things. I actually can't remember what I've got coming up. Actually, yeah. I'm working, actually, I'm working on a, um, a carded... A new carded figure, so I've completely redesigned like a card back, double-sided. Um, it is a the new Mummy Stalker that I released with like the, the hat head. Um, so that's going to be on like a carded one. They're hopefully going to be all painted as well. So it's going to be 20 figure run. Um, yeah, that's kind of probably a little bit further down the line, but definitely something that's coming up. Uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's all of them. Right. <laughs> Hey, Titty Beans, it was so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for making it work with the time zones. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, shout out to out there listening.
New from Toys on Tap. Toys on Tap. The next episode. The next episode. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. Toys on Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.